Welcome to the Thought Leader Podcast. I'm Dr. Kent. And I'm Randy Baker. And on the Thought Leader Podcast, we search the world for interesting and fascinating and sometimes remarkably smart guests who are going to challenge the way you think, they're going to inform you of things that you may not have thought about, and they're going to ignite your imagination as we discuss all sorts of topics. All right, without further ado. Nice to talk with you, uh, Dr. AJ. Really great to kind of put a face to the name, as you just said. And for the listeners who can't see you, uh, you've got a pretty hip studio. It's sort of like the Batcave there. It is the Batcave because I am a huge fan of The Dark Knight. I've been since I was a kid, so I'm glad that you noticed. You've got a good eye. Thank you very much. Nice, nice. And... You're surrounded by a few things that are like, I guess, totems uh, of who you are. So I'm curious to kind of hear, almost based on the things around you, what you've done and who you are. Oh, what a loaded question. Who am I? And it's a question I think goes back to my days in school. Basically a, a kid that was generally ostracized by even friends and bullies alike. And... Uh, didn't have much growing up and decided that storytelling was a thing, um, even though back when it wasn't a thing, grand storytelling. Started to tell my teachers and my friends that one day I would be on stage being able to eloquently share the power of storytelling and the power of how, at that time as a kid, I wasn't able to articulate the sentence, but what I believe is the ethos of the branding world today that is people have become brands and brands have become people and um, people like Gary Vaynerchuk personify that Steve Jobs personified that Richard Branson personified that Jack Ma personified that um, no matter where you go across any industry disposition or country culture time and time again it's 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 shown that brand storytelling is part of or integral to the DNA of your brands recall and memorability and that memorability is what people really connect with that's uh that's been my mission that's been my mission since i was a kid so what kind of stories did you tell when you were a kid were it like tall tales like uh yes i was i was fast asleep when you were really walking out around town or what what kind of stories were you telling good question uh <laughs> storytelling as a child is pretty much predictable right tall tales Tales to get out of trouble, tales to to get to get my way, but you know it's really interesting because as I got as I got older and you know from from pre adolescent all the way up to teens and then through to tertiary when I was in college and then after that as a professional today you really kind of understand the value of being able to communicate with people right and be able to actually share your vision and agenda and opinion in a much more effective manner through storytelling, right? Um, when, you're, when you're able to articulate that in a more compelling manner, which uh, scientifically it's been proven that stories do, 
right? A variety of different areas of your brain light up when you hear a story. Whereas when you hear a lecture or you go through a really boring slide presentation, um, you know, you really, really get immersed in it. And so the stories I used to tell as a kid, I suppose were training ground, like a sandbox of training, right? Before I got to the actual point where I actually turned this into an offering in the market and, and was able to disseminate it as a professional. So what is the work that you do and what does 77 mean? What's, what's, what's up with the number that is your brand? Right. So the brand is actually called Vision 77. And Vision 77 was born basically in a hole-in-the-wall type of restaurant that we call, that there's a word in the local language here called mamax, right? Uh, that's basically mama with a K at the end. And um, we, were, we were sitting in a hole-in-the-wall type of place and at the tail end of some pretty bad decisions financially as well as in terms of like our jobs and everything, me and a really close buddy of mine, Ryan, who is ultimately family for me, my brother, uh, not in the real blood sense, but we've had so much of a history together. We do pretty much everything venture building wise together. And we were having a conversation tail end of a pretty bad time. We're talking about this perspective that we have, you know, we have all the raw ingredients We've got, you know, we've got the smarts, we've got the mentality, the right attitude, we've got all these different aspects in our lives, and yet things don't seem to be happening for us. And uh, we had pitched a lot of a lot of different types of investor profiles. We had pitched uh, angels, we had pitched VCs, we had pitched private equity firms. Um, and time and time again, we realized that the primary basis in the VC mentality is is very revenue driven. It's very numbers driven. Um, and then, you know, shows like the Shark Tank and Dragon Den really personify that, right? It's all about a conversation around standing in front of these larger than life captains of industry and proving them that your revenue model makes sense. And that's fundamentally the cornerstone as to why they say yes to you. We realized that there were so many, tan there were so many tangible aspects to a business model, but there were so many intangible aspects as well. Right. And we live in a world right now where entrepreneurs succeed, not just because of logic, but because of passion. But we didn't see that come through in the VC world. Right. We were talking about that. The majority of the people that you talk to, whether they're out of Silicon Valley or some remote, ungodly place that you've never heard of, um, it didn't make a difference. They're all about the money. And um, we decided let's create a micro economy based sort of business angel accelerator fund called Vision 77, where we envision 77 ventures around the world that are given a chance to grow and blossom and flourish, right? Because we invested in them, not just because of the tangibles, but the intangibles, right? And we developed a very, very, I would say almost a proprietary methodology behind how we choose our investments. And today we have about 18. So we've got a long way to go, Kent. Randy, got a long way to go. We're still not anywhere close 77, but the idea is it was a vision of 77 ventures that changed the world. So why 77? I was based on a, based on a, a Persian legend. So <laughs> uh, you're going to probably, you're probably going to kick out of this. Um, you know, you, you guys watched the movie 300, right? You watched the movie 300 and uh, in the three, in, in, in the movie, uh, the Spartans face off 
this massive army of apparently like 10,000 strong Persians. But the highlight on the Persian side was this this royal guard to the emperor Xerxes, which were called the Immortals, right? Now, they were called the Immortals because of the stipulation amongst folklore that um, you can't kill them. That's why they were called Immortals. The truth was they were all wearing the same garb and the same mask, so you couldn't really tell one from another. But the, 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 the folklore amongst enemies of the Persian armies would say that this guard is always the same number. No matter how many times you kill them, they seem to never die. Like, so what was happening in the back was there was always a substitute reserve bench, right? <laughs> one died, the other one would come onto the field to make up those numbers, right? The Persian army and the empire was huge back then, so they had no shortage of numbers. So the royal guard was basically probably thousands of people, but it's always that in some in some scripture and some historical record it's 99 in some it's 77 and so my my brother that i talked about earlier ryan he comes from persian he comes he's persian as well right and um he spent about 10 12 years in this region so we're talking about different funny funky things to think of we came up with the 77 based on that that legend of the immortal and the basis of that really came from it's not about how awesome financially the 77 investments that we make do. It's about the ability for them to impact uh, whatever they're looking to solve, right? One of the biggest reasons why we have the nine out of 10 startup fail rule in the world and the stat we keep in, you know, every time you go in for a pitch, you know, you've got at least one person doing talking about how, oh, you're aware of the fact that nine out of 10 startups fail. Yeah. Well, why do they fail, right? A lot of people don't ask that question. They fail because of not just because the idea wasn't good. Most of the time, even though nine ideas were really great, it's just that they weren't very clear about what type of problem they're solving, what exactly they're solving in the market. They get carried away. So that's why that's why seventy seven, bro. So I really find fascinating thinking about VCs. It's a world I've been in for many years. So the VC approach is often portfolio based for each fund. They'll invest in 10 companies knowing that one of them hopefully will be a success and six of them are going to fail and, you know, three of them are just going to drift along. Yeah. They can measure that very simply by, you know, cash flows, profits, very tangible results. Yeah. If you're looking at impact, how does your portfolio build to create potential you're, going, you're still going to have potential winners and losers, but you'll be measuring them based on impact. And what is that actual measure? Is yeah. intangible? I'd love to know your thoughts on it. Absolutely. It's a really good question. Really, really good question, Randy. Fundamentally, there is a much higher risk factor in the way we do things. So I just want to put that out there. Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, in a traditional VC mentality, uh, for that matter, even private equity, you typically are measuring by just one key tangible based on the revenue and financial projections. You're looking at a liquidity event for yourself as an investor. And that's when your exit strategy, you know, starts up and everything. So in our case, yes, we have an element of measuring the financial aspects. I'd be lying if I said we don't. Um, we do have a financial tangibility that so we do a baseline business model review. And of course, there's certain elements of the, the VC aspects that are still within our model. But fundamentally, there's also a weightage given to the impact aspects that you mentioned. And that is 
that is mitigated primarily by the unique, what I mentioned earlier, methodology that we've created. Uh, so what we've done is when we were sitting back at the tail end, uh, when we first started Vision 77, when, when we had nothing, right, we talked about this, this very aspect. Okay, so we're talking about doing something that's different from the VC mentality. Now, how are we going to justify that? Because if we go in and make the, the like, first, for example, the first five decisions are really wrong and they all fail, uh, which is very likely, right? And the VC, like you just said, right, like people pick 100 and then out of 100, probably 90 just don't go anywhere, 10 only. So what we did was we understood that we need to bootstrap our way and be very strategic about our first two investments, our first two investments. Now, we were at the end of we were at the end of Bassam. Pretty tight financially at the time, but we had enough between the two of us, between me and Ryan, to make a strategic roadmap in our mind that what do we need the first investment to be that would support the next one, right? What what would we invest in that would support the next one coming in, right? Not just not just from a from a pure from a from a portfolio perspective, but actually from services rendered perspective. So we started talking about that, and we were like, okay, interesting. Obviously, an agency, a creative and branding agency, right? Because, you know, essentially, sales and marketing is the heart of any business's ability to go to market, right? You can have a great idea, but if you're not able to go to market and execute that effectively in your marketing matrix, then it's pointless, right? We've seen that time and time again, right? So we invested, we got together and we invested in this agency called Subture.com, right? You can still tell them that, still check them out. They're going pretty strong. We had a pretty rough year uh, last year because of COVID, but we bounced back and it's called Subture.com. And that's our very first investment in Vision 77. Now, we were very strategic about it because we knew that the next investment that comes in, that we invest in, they would need a certain amount of help going to market. And we could use Subture to be symbiotically connected to our offerings. So if somebody came in, for example, our second investment came in, like the second part, part of our portfolio, they would come in and say, we need a million dollars, right? Now, we would say, why do you need a million dollars? And of course, they'd have their pitch deck to showcase what, what, their, what their million dollars is going into. Now, ordinarily, you a typical VC would be looking at a million dollars versus what they'd get out of that financially. What we looked at was, how can Vision 77 become part of the ecosystem in such a way that we can reduce the cash requirements of their $1 million ask and give them services within our ecosystem in kind that would also equate to a dollar value. So what happened hypothetically would be that somebody comes in for a million dollar pitch to you, they walk out accepting a $500,000 cash injection and $500,000 worth in subture as services to help them go to market, to build their UIs, to build their brand, to build their logo, their identity, their website, et cetera, et cetera, right? And if you snowball that, now just think about it from that point, multiply that. And if you've got one, then to two, then two to the three, three to four, four to five, what happens is you build, develop a micro economy. So then now it's come to a point literally where people can come in, they pitch us, right? And other people have told them probably 10 no's. They've gotten 10 no's. They come to us. We say yes to them. Why? Because they're no longer looking at their original ask with us. We've got an ecosystem that supports them, right? So when they come in, they get bookkeeping services. They get blockchain tech development. They get traditional IT development. They get e-commerce services. They, got, they get agency work, right? They get all of that at cost 
or subsidized or waived even possibly. And that's our equity investment as well. So now we're literally at a stage where we can set up a rehab, a full-on specialized sports rehab center at any part of Asia now. And if someone comes in and asks us for a million dollars for it, we can just give them $100,000 and they still say yes to us because we're giving them $900,000 worth of marketing, business advisory, commercialization, all of that from the Vision 77 ecosystem. And that's really attractive to the owner because the owner and the founder is sitting there going, oh, that's awesome. So all of my issues that were tangible are being solved in an intangible way because I'm getting so many different teams being plugged in to support me. And I don't have those teams. If I were to do it myself, I would have to hire and pay a shitload of OPEX for this, right? When we did this, Randy, that's how we started measuring it, right? Because we're like, okay, so our risk factor would be ordinarily very high if we went down the way you said just earlier, described the vision. But our risk factor goes down drastically because our cash injection and the money that leaves our pockets is a lot lower than any traditional VC would. So that's pretty much the mentality. So traditional VCs say that they do this. That's part of their part of their spiel is that you know they can their network is valuable. They they try to find businesses that are can be connected with each other. They can grow them all symbiotically, like you said. But very few of them actually do it. Um, do you raise do you raise funds for investment purposes, as like the VCs and private equity boys, or are you using your own funds at this stage? Well, we do a mix and a match, right? So as a business angel accelerator and incubator as well, uh, we do a mix and match. We're both an accelerator and an incubator, right? Um, so what that means is that for the for the start points in the early days of Vision 77, for the first five to seven, we were looking at booting it from our own pockets. And we saw it was our money, right, that we put into the business. And of course, we based it off the passion that we saw in the founders that came to us with ideas that we really saw potential in. Don't get me wrong, we've got an extensive market research team here that does a lot of evaluation on their ideas. It's not like somebody walks in and says, listen, man, I love dancing, I wanna do a dance academy. We're like, yeah, you go girl, it's not, it's not like that. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's like, you know, that we do a lot of, there is a certain process behind it, methodology and a bit of diligence that goes into it accordingly. But overall, we'd like to think that we do it in a much more humane and a much more less materialistic way than traditional VC uh, conversations and rhetorics go. But to answer your question specifically, Randy, uh, it's a mix and match. We've definitely dug deep into our own pockets for certain ventures that we really believed in. And then, of course, there are also times where we've done fundraising ourselves and we've actually looked at raising for a particular business idea that we thought you know, a founder brought to us that we don't necessarily want to go in alone as a risk factor. We also want, you know, another, a larger portfolio to come in. And we've got partners who can do that. We've got partners out in California, partners in, in Japan. Like they work with us to do placements, investment placements as well, right? So we work with them like that too. So yeah, pretty much. So AJ, it's been really great to chat with you. You're clearly a, a thought leader and you're not as old as your soul is. And as your experience uh, indicates. So in kind of conclusion here, we like to keep these interviews short. Yeah. What's your vision of AJ's future? So, I mean, 
you're a visionary. You're always thinking about the future for everybody else. What's what? What are you hoping for thirty years from now? Are you just kicking your feet up in the Caribbean, or what's or in Kuala Lumpur? What's the what's the plan? I really like so like I think at three levels, at three different levels. Level one, I like to be able to position a a value proposition for the underdog entrepreneur through the mission that we play out at Vision Seventy Seven. Uh, because we are underdogs and we were people that people, you know, like generally most people would say no to, to begin with, uh, no Harvard education, no, no, you know, no great, no awesome inheritance fund from rich daddy and mommy, you know, none of that, none of the, the silver spoon, blue blood, none of that. So we'd like to be able to create that value proposition that, you know, vision 77 is a tribute and an ongoing living embodiment that, the underdog entrepreneur is often overlooked, and it's one of the biggest mistakes that VCs and private equity firms around the world are doing today. That's level one. Level two, at a personal level, I'd like to be able to create a higher awareness around the world around how brand storytelling gives way to something very important, which is a self-awareness, a self-awareness as an entrepreneur, which is extremely important. I see a lot of, um, I see this whole narrative with tech and everything that's going on, there's a huge, a huge disbalance with the, the combination of social media, combination of, of, of what's going on with what they call digital disruption and all these different implications. It has an implication on the emotional intelligence of every generation that's coming through. And so we'd like to be able to create that self-awareness at an entrepreneurial level, a certain element of going back to the basics and understanding that, you know, entrepreneurship is one, not just through logic, but also through passion. That's level two, right? And finally, of course, level three, I'd love to have fun doing it and probably sit on a yacht one day, you know, and just chill out thinking that I did something worthwhile and I wasn't just chasing the currency, but also built a legacy. So, yeah. So that's uh, a great spot for us to, uh, to close on, Dr. AJ, because I love the fact that you can build legacy have a fun life, enjoy doing it, and still enjoy the, the fruits of all that work yourself. Amen. So I'm, I'm all over that. I think life is too short. We should be enjoying it while creating an impact at the same time. Thank you. Really quickly, how can people connect with you and who would you really love to pick up the phone and say, Dr. AJ, I'd love to talk with you? What's a telephone? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> cell phone, you know, one of these things. Yeah, yeah, see, yeah, I'm, I'm stuck in the 70s. What can I say? Uh, I mean, hey, you know, there are a lot of good things, really great things about the 70s, man, so I can't complain. Like music, yeah. Uh, like music. It meant something back then. Huh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, that being said, uh, I'd, really, I'd really like to like, get into the room one day with Gary Vee, right? I really think that he, he redefined paradigm shift and what it means to be an entrepreneur that actually cares. Yeah, he's controversial, but I like that about him. You know, um, he's one of those guys that you either love him or you hate him, right? You, you can't find him in, in between. And, I, you know, you can bet your bottom dollar that you, you'll meet somebody and say, hey, do you, do you follow Gary Vee? And you either get a reaction like, oh, I hate that guy. Or you'd be like, yeah, dude, I'm totally into it. Yeah, that guy's dope. You know, that's it. That's the guy, right? So, yeah, I'd love to, that, to answer that question. love to get on a, probably not a phone call, but probably maybe a clubhouse session yeah. <laughs> with, with Gary you know, just hash it out with him because I do disagree on a few things with him. So I've got a piece of my mind to give to him. But I love the man. Got a lot of respect for him. And uh, if you want to reach out to me, hit me up on LinkedIn. That's where I live. 
well, I used to live there, but now I've got like tons of stuff going on in the office. It's crazy. But anytime you message me on LinkedIn, I'm there. So I'll get back to you in a day-ish or maybe more. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much, Kent. Thank you, Randy. Thank you, AJ. Really great. Dr. AJ uh, Minai. Minaj or Minai? No, I'm not related. I'm not related to Nikki. I'm glad I don't know. So, yeah, uh, it's, <laughs> Dr. It's, it's Dr. AJ Minai. And you can just drop the doctor, man. Just call me AJ. No worries. No formalities. Cool. Well, thank you, AJ. This has been fabulous. This has been such a wonderful conversation today. It was surprising, it was intriguing, it was interesting, and this is just an example of the types of guests that we have on the Thought Leader podcast, and we would love you to subscribe so you get to hear the next issue. Or you can visit our our website. Our website is thoughtpartnergroup.com, and at the top you'll see a little button that says take the assessment. In one minute you can take the assessment and get a response from us, we'll read everyone. All right, take care, have a good life, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you.